0: I am Darnell Moore, and this is Being Seen. An in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on the gay and queer Black male experience, the first season is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, We have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity.
1: Right. But I wanted to I wanted to read this real quick. I was writing this play, Sweet Chariot. And uh, there's this interaction between uh, uh, this character, Davon, and his mother. And if you don't mind, I want to read it please real quick. Do, please do, please. Um, Davon says, uh, she says something, to, Macy says something to the effect of, like, you know, you stop going to church. Like, like, after all I've done for you, after all I've taught you, do you know how bad that hurts? And he says, you want to know hurt? Try being black and gay and still believe there's a God. Hurt is when it's easy to laugh that God off as a bad dream or some heavy extra baggage from slavery just to make it easier to take another breath with some sanity. I did love the church. I did. But somewhere between the whispers about my hands on my hips and the prayers to be delivered, I got lost and damaged. Can you recall a moment in the Bible when Jesus spoke to someone and they walked away damaged? Don't that mean somebody's doing it wrong? And then she says, There ain't no guidebook to raising kids, Davon. I was a single mama with not a fraction of a clue of how to raise a man in this world, let alone a strong black man. you already born a target. I'm just supposed to sit by and let you decide to put another mark on your back? No, if you was going to be raised in my house and go out in this world as a man, you were going to go out with the full armor and the strength to defend yourself against any fool that wants you dead. And in this neighborhood, there's a fool for every step you make up the street. How you going to defend yourself and your family while strutting and spraying your sugar up a street of fools? You asking to be seen. You asking for them to beat every bit of sweetness out of you until they either see you just another nigga or they see you dead. And yes, yes, I damn sure would rather have the weight of the world roll on top of you for my doing than for the world to roll on top of you by itself and never get off. I wanted to raise a man, a real man, a man that wasn't your father, a man that wasn't my husband. And that was like,
0: Listen, I need to, you just took, that just took my breath away. You asking to be seen. So what if we are? Why shouldn't we be seen? By ourselves and by others, by God. Whether we spread our sugar or smother it down inside of us, God sees us still. And God loves us. Us. God loves us. And God loves you. And maybe you've got a different kind of God, so let me say that another way. There is no part of your queerness that will not be loved and should not be loved by whatever gods we choose to name. Maybe it's easy to hear that, and it could be hard. Maybe you think like I used to that this can't be true, but it is. And believing that is today's act of faith. Faith in yourself and the rightness of your existence. So that's God. But what about the church? Joseph Suret, ordained clergy, professor, and author on the inception of the African American denominational churches and how they can be horizons for imagining the terms of Black Life. Let's start by offering some context, as Dolores Williams would name the African-American denominational churches, right? They they came into being for a very specific purpose. Um, And in so many ways, uh, as radical protests against white supremacy, talk a little bit about the church, the history of the African-American denominational churches in the U.S. context and the powerful ways in which they came into being.
2: Absolutely. I mean, from the outset, these churches, even before sort of denominational forms take shape, are a sign of black freedom. An assertion of black humanity and an affirmation right of black social life in a moment in which black folk are not being recognized as human are being treated as property these churches emerge as a response in a critique and as an opposition to the law and the guiding rhetorics of the land to affirm black humanity and to affirm black life as sacred And in many ways, right, as they're often described as the first Black institution, by some accounts, before Black families are even recognized as such, Black churches are constituting an alternative spiritual kinship structure for Black life.
0: Come on and give it to us. Yeah, look, this is good word right here. Well, let me quote you. You talk about churches within Black communities being, quote, horizons for imagining the terms of Black life. I want you to say a little bit more about that and also about the role that the churches can play now, particularly when it thinking about the various ways that, look, I, you know, I like to call these violent theologies are often used to define us, to constrict our ways of being, but also free us up to. So... Horizons for imagining the turns of black life. What happens when those horizons begin to deplete? Right. (laughs) So talk a little bit about
2: that. No, and that's the story, right? That doubleness of churches as sites and spaces that sometimes reinforce destructive Deathly hierarchies, right? Sort of reaffirming orthodoxies rather than reaffirming humanity, and whether that's the case in the context of enslavement, right? That there are there were slave preachers, right? That were doing the work of, of the master, but then there were preachers who were working within the context of black life to bend religion towards freedom right that is the sort of story of the doubleness and then immediately right even in the face of asserting liberation uh there are churches that are taking the shape of a more conservative form right that are serving a variety of ideologies that may not be um sort of in service to liberation uh, affirmation of black life and so
0: as Brittany Cooper said, there's some people who serve a white supremacist God.
2: Absolutely, right? We think, I mean, how do we not understand the church and religion more broadly as a space in which white supremacy has been reified, and been worshipped, right, but then also countered, right? And so I think in this instance, we've seen over the culmination of several decades an alignment of a particular kind of Christianity with the religious right that has run its course and clarified the degree to which it's been in service to white supremacy for some time. Including some black folk who've been enfolded with that particular political idiom of Christianity, and yet I think there's always been another story asserting laying claim to that sort of early liberationist thrust, and I think uh, black churches can continue to be that space that provide an alternative way of imagining faith in the public square that affirms black humanity in its fullness.
0: The house that we built should be built for all of us, creating an inclusive community based on the humility of understanding that this ain't your party. Bishop Yvette Flunder, senior pastor of the City of Refuge United Church of Christ in Oakland, California, and presiding bishop of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. What role do you think churches can play in the struggle for Black freedom? And how can that role be expanded, right, to include groups within the Black community that may have traditionally been excluded from churches, whether that's women due to patriarchy or gay or queer or trans folk because of antagonism against, against those very same.
3: Well, let me say that as a person of African descent, that uh, the church has been the hub for many, many years for Black freedom for black meetings, for black planning. It is also the institution that as black people, people of African descent, we built our own churches. It was the institution that we created. And we did it with chicken dinners and popcorn ball sales and potato pie tarts (laughs) and waist measurement rallies and baby contests and whatever we had to do to raise that money and bought plots of land and built structures. I think about some of the uh, pioneers uh, like uh, Daddy Grace and Father Divine that still own significant swaths of property in places like New York City and other main metropolitan areas. So the church has been a staple and a stable uh, contributor to improving the fiscal realities and the lives of African-American people. When we couldn't go to somebody else's church because we were black, we just built us one. And we worshiped a God that loved us, that accepted us. I think that that freedom-fighting church, that church that honored and gave homage to our ancestors, those that went before us, and also cared for our children. That church has in some ways been hijacked in some places and cases by the realities of church as big business and church as theater. And when I say that, I mean, church as big business has in some ways moved us away from church as community and church as surrogate family and church as a a body of believers helping to build one another up and be a blessing to their community. And consequently, there are certain kinds of theologies of a better than and greater than and more important to God than, realities that have truly seeped in, such that uh, churches in an effort, I believe, to be important and thought of as very significant, as mega, as we use the word now, as mega, means that there are certain doctrinal things that they have to accept and others that they have to reject. And a lot of that has worked to our deficit and has caused us to exile or send into a closet some of the best, some of the greatest, the most, uh, as we say in the church, anointed, uh, spirit-filled contributors to what black church really is. And that saddens me. That saddens me because I know that it is true, and I know I've seen it practiced over and over, such that we have created a whole underground of people who can remain as long as they keep a certain level of silence about who they are and what they do. And we have developed certain theologies of oppression in much the same way as theologies of oppression for us as people of African descent, as women, as people who were always to be considered second or third class, those were visited on us. And I think that what we are doing is visiting those realities on those that are part of our churches and our denominations and our organizations for the same reason, for power, for prestige. I think it has a lot to do with that.
0: I'm about to run around my room. (laughs) What, What do you think congregations lose when they make subsets of the Black community and or do not cherish them within their spaces? Um, Who benefits from this contained small version of God's love?
3: Hmm. Well, I can answer the, the, the latter part of that question very easily. No one benefits, absolutely no one. Because when we have to drive away our own people in order to fit snugly into a, a prescribed a formula basically what we are saying and this is the way I say it theologically sometimes in, in uh, when I'm preaching and culturally one of my friends said his mother had a birthday party and his mother invited his cousin his cousin's name his moniker on the street was Shonuff his mother invited Shonuff and Shonuff was one of those Old car driving folks where you could hear the radio like a block or two before he got to you. And Shonuff had a certain following, if you understand. And so the son said to the mother, Mama, please, please do not invite Shonuff to the party. You know the element that follows him. You know how he is. Please. The mama said two things I want to say to you, son. One, you are lucky to be invited. You wouldn't be here if I didn't invite you. The second thing is, it ain't your party. There's something very powerful, very telling story between a son and his mother. It's the idea that the religions or the faith-based organizations belong to us and that we can decide who can be a part and who cannot be a part. It is the suggestion that we forgot that room had to be made for us provisions had to be made for our imperfections acceptance for our race acceptance for our gender acceptance for our birthright and our heritage and our ancestry and the reason that it shouldn't be difficult is that it ate our party come on the one that invited us that created the spiritual meal and the rich welcome has welcomed all of us at the same time, no matter who we are, no matter what our realities are. Our job is essentially to wait tables for the one, (laughs) for the one whose party it is. And if it gets to be problematic, then our responsibility is to simply add more tables and more chairs and expand the room. We have to expand the room to include people who were at one time excluded, because it's a real blessing that we are included at all. Amen.
0: Our sexuality is one aspect that forms the fabric of our humanity, and it is given to us by the divine. Understanding how all of our intimacies bring us closer to God, Bishop Yvette Flunder.
3: It does not exist. And I'll take a moment and say, one of the reasons that we are so poor in our ability to be inclusive of someone that we feel is other is we don't recognize the presence of the other among us. But we also have somehow been told, particularly by people who encouraged us to accept and live in the realities of Christianity. And I am not an unhappy Christian, not at all. I am a redesigned Christian. I don't worship the text. I interrogate and interpret the text. That's what I'm called to. And one of my great challenges in interrogating and interpreting the text is the ways in which the councils present the life of Jesus to us. It's a very peculiar way to present the life of Jesus the way that it has been presented by the scriptures that were kept and the ones that were dismissed. And I will say it this way, human beings don't exist that way. You're not born in the world, you have a, a big carrying on around your being born with, with stars and, and, and three kings and such. And then you reappear in life when you're 13, go before the elders. And then you reappear in life when you're 30 at John's baptism. As though nothing happened between the time that Jesus was born, the time he went to the temple with his family, and the time that he came to be at John's baptism, known as the Messiah, the one who was going to move through and among his people, bringing hope and help and relief and release. It's amazing to me, where is the rest of his life? Where is his life? That's a lot of years that are just missing. Where is his humanity? And if he has true and had true humanity, how did he come into his intimacy. What was his intimacy? And if he didn't have intimacy, where is his humanity? (laughs) Because humans have intimacy. They gave him fellel, you know, that kind of love to have companionship. They gave him Agape, which was that godly deep kind of love that, but they don't give him Eros. What human being doesn't have Eros? What human being never loves someone and wants to be engaged in some sort of intimacy. And I might say sexual intimacy. It wouldn't have been wrong for him. (laughs) And we don't know to this day if he had somebody, but we are terrified about the possibility because we have added a certain sin nature that can only be conquered, sin nature to sexuality and sexual expression that can only be conquered if you get married to somebody and maintain some semblance in your mind of missionary position for the rest of your life, that that anything outside of that is an ungodly use of a profanity that has to be put under control or it'll just take over, you know, that whole concept of vilifying Our sexuality is connected to denying Jesus having any intimacy or eros in his life. So stop saying he was fully human. Stop saying it. If we cannot give to him this thing given to us by the divine, it is not a curse. And I say it this way sometimes to my congregations. We say easily, my mind belonged to God, my heart. Loves God out of my belly flows rivers of living water. Then we drop down to our knees, and my knees kneel before God, and my feet run after God. Well what about the between your navel and your knees? What about that part that is also fearfully and wondrously made? Glory to God
0: when we vilify sexuality, we opened the door for HIV-AIDS stigma. The importance of churches accepting and supporting their communities. Professor Yosef Soret. One pivotal element that we've been talking about and we're centering is HIV and AIDS. And there's been a history of, you know, we've come some way, right? with Black churches um, embracing the epidemic of HIV-AIDS as a social issue that we ought to be responding to what how what changes have you seen been made are are what work do we still need to do?
2: right, I mean, I think of right the early observation that churches were especially reluctant right to res- be responsive because it was a disease associated with intravenous drug use and gay men right this is and I think churches once it became clear around the degree to which the epidemic was just ravishing black communities slowly and surely we think of work by the bomb and gilead and other organizations that were stepping up i know both you and i have worked within these spaces of public health right to think about it and so i think churches have learned from that and there has been a sort of an effort to around both questions of citizenship and around public health to move forward in ways that, right? But I think there's still, as we're talking about faith today, the work that needs to be done to more explicitly make the connection between public health concerns, citizenship concerns, and theological, the theological claim for the worth of all lives, right? And so as, even as I, we were talking about uh, the Freedom Center and the Fellowship Affirming Ministries and the leadership of these two black queer women, I'm thinking about, to your point, right, the, the scores of black men who are working within the context of these more traditional black churches to hold them accountable, right? And, and so I think the, the work is taking place outside of quote unquote traditional black churches, but the, uh, the work now uh, continues, right? And I think in some ways the, the model of the slow response to HIV AIDS is a reminder to black churches of the need, <laughs> right? to respond with more urgency in a more timely fashion, to affirm and protect and support the fullness of those who are in the pews and within the congregations that have always, not just the choir director to your point, have always constituted the Black church.
0: A faith in the immensity of God's love, affirming our fullness, Refusing to allow faith to stop at the limits of our imaginations because we are all worthy. An offering to anyone who is wondering if God loves you, Professor Yosef Surin. In a moment like this, even with all that we are, you know, you have a scholar here that's that's offering us this. It's still, I know there might be somebody listening to this, who even having heard someone who is both a scholar and ordained, right, in the tradition, Absolutely. still cannot reckon with the belief that God actually loves them. What do you say to that? What do you say to that person?
2: On one level, that is itself the biggest leap of faith to affirm the truth of our value fundamentally across these lines uh, in God's image, right? That, that we could unpack it scholarly and we can explain it in terms of political ideology but there's a way in which alongside all the sort of teachings at the rational level we live in this stuff right we feel it it's in our bones and in our body and it's only something i think of the sort of scripture that talks about working through our salvation with fear and trembling and I'm, i can think of a, a particular moment in in my own life around the same time in seminary thinking you know that there were certain ideas and practices that I held on to that were becoming clearly just unhealthy to who it was I am and what I needed to do to flourishing, and that it was a sort of leap of faith to to recognize and say to myself, you know what? If God's not bigger than these things, than my hang-ups, than these ideas, I think that certainly applies in this situation. That that God's affirmation is to everyone in the fullness of their gendered and sexual difference, and that that's not a scholarly claim. That's a preacherly claim, right? Yes. And that's but that and that's the truth. I think one of the things that I take from my own fundamentalist upbringing in this regard, right is there, there's a sort of power in saying it as your feel-dead person, even if you don't believe it yet, right? Like to sort of, as a recitation, as a confession, that in spite of all that we've been taught, right, that that divine affirmation is unconditional.
4: You are so beautiful, so wise
0: The many blessings of Michael Kilgore How he has expanded the room for himself and for others. Building community by singing the gospel. Telling the story, Michael Kilgore, singer and actor. And I want to start with you taking us um, through your background, upbringing, letting us know a bit about your context and how that informed you. Who are you? Who are your people? Where are you from? Um, what was your context, particularly with regards to religiosity and how that has shaped who you are?
4: Well, I'm just a man born black, basically. Um, I was born and raised in Florida, Central Florida um, my grandparents were pastors. My uncles were pastors. There was almost every man in my family did something ministerial. So church was just the family business almost. And uh, as I grew up, <laughs> I was like, I do not want to be a pastor. This looks like this sucks. But like the, I think the preaching and the ministering part just is completely in my soul. And I can't shake it. It was five, 15 questions, but you know, you got it. <laughs> but we're just gonna we're gonna pinpoint two.
0: Um <laughs> <laughs> The fir- the first is really like the influence of gospel music on your sound or your,
4: okay. or your approach. And the second is just the impact of gospel music in the world. It's interesting because you said almost like a worship leader when you were asking the questions. And I take that as a very high compliment. I think worship leading is an extremely vulnerable and difficult thing to do because You have to spend so much time on your own going to these these places. When you're leading somebody, you can't get lost on the journey when you're leading them. So a good worship leader to me is the kind of person who can lead you to this very high spiritual rapturous moment and not get lost and not get caught up in all of it because they've been there before. They know the journey to get there and to get back. I feel really responsible to my audiences when I'm doing a show. I don't want just, to just dive deep into the hurt and pain of let me go without without knowing the journey to get you to bring you back from that. I don't want to just drop you there and, and have you there just sitting and stewing in that. Um, and that's something I learned from gospel music. It is about a genre of music that definitely has a feel and a sound, but it's about a lyric. (laughs) You know, Lyrics are first to me when I think about gospel music because I need to hear the story of the gospel. Or it's not, I don't care how much organ you play, I don't care how many people are in the choir, it's not gospel music to me. So that's key. And I learned that from gospel. Also, gospel music is community music to me. I don't like the idea of gospel being something that is just for alone time. I think that there are certain songs that are meditative and I can enjoy them by myself, but it is about that community feeling of, you know, when you hear, your grace and mercy brought me through. Anybody could be that me. You almost had me lifting up my hands. I was about to join right in. (laughs) (laughs) And when you hear those songs, especially in service, I mean, it is unifying, and it is, and it binds us together. I mean, it is about um, a greater we than me, and that is something I wanted to do in my my work. So
0: you have a song titled "God and Me," and in so many ways, and when you're talking about this we, you know, when I was sitting in church and singing, or doing worship leading in a choir, and or even at home, you I'm know, so glad and-
4: you said that. Everyone, y'all, need to know that. <laughs> Darnell can sing like he can really <laughs> sing Whatever.
0: guys but like what was interesting to me and even when I reflect on the songs that I wrote it was clear that an anti like gay like a homophobic uh, what I call a violent theology was even at the core of my own interpretation so that now when I go back to songs that I wrote I can't even sing them oh wow you know because I was singing the God like you know Lord take me I'm a wretched and I was that you know Fix me. So when you talk about this, we in this, and you know, your grace and mercy brought us through. I often sat in a church, feeling as if, as a black queer identified person, as a black gay person, that I was absented from that way. But when I listened to your song, God and Me, it was almost a reframe, a turning on its head, a critique of who gets to to name themselves as part of God's created being, and that included me. To the God in me, the God in Darnell Moore, a black queer man living in this world. God is in me too. Talk a little bit about, and then that may not be your that may not have been your what you intended to do, but it's one of the impacts. Um so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how these theologies that we have been that have been a, sort of shoved down our throats in some ways, shapes our understanding, of our love for ourselves, as not only like as black people, as black men. Yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts about that.
4: I jokingly say that my brand is Reclaiming. Ever since Reclaiming My Time became like the stupidest thing that people ever loved about me. And that song, God and Me, really is me saying, God is for us. Who Who is us? Any of us. All of us. And I always hated the idea that there were people, especially people with power in our faith, that made it seem like God wasn't for us because we were queer or because we made mistakes or because we, any reason. I made a very conscious decision that with whatever I did artistically, you were not going to be able to take the art without me. And hopefully that will not come back to bite me someday. But, I'm in it. You can't have all this art without dealing with my blackness, dealing with my queerness, dealing with my humanity, my maleness, all those things that sometimes feel great and sometimes don't feel great, but it's it's a part of it.
0: You know, I feel like I'd be remiss to not end by telling you to, like, you know, I mean, I we need to hear God in me, at least like a, a verse. Oh, my God. But,
4: you know. Uh, just <laughs> a verse. Oh, God. Um... These limbs, they seem to be so small. I wonder if I stretched, would they reach at all? If I could touch a heart or two, I'd lead those hearts I touched to you. I look, me in the mirror, and I search to see Where's the master's image, staring back, staring back at me? Where is compassion or the need for setting free? I wonder, can God see the God in me, see the God in me? Open up my eyes to see the needs of others. Open up my life to my sisters and my brothers. Maybe shine a light to help the ones in the darkness see God for themselves and see the God in me.
0: Y'all, every time he does this, I literally, like, he would be making me and my sisters cry. Um, this is Michael Kilgore, y'all, and a man boy Black, get it? Thank you for just existing, for, your, for expressing and, and giving of us your gifts and just for being. The God in me. The God in you. The God in us. The house that we built. A place of freedom, of community. Let us not imagine this house to be so small, that it can only contain the few. Let us not visit the oppression that has fallen on us on others. Our faith should liberate us. Our churches should expand and affirm the fullness of all of our existences. And to do anything less is to rob us of some of our most anointed. So have faith. Have faith in yourself and in our ability to recreate and reimagine the spaces where we worship so that each of us Is welcome. Each of us is sacred in our sexuality, in our humanity, in our love. Being seen is produced by Harley and Company and Darnell Moore, and created in partnership with Beef Healthcare. Theme music is provided by Moses Sumney.